the world was waiting for a light to dawn. The prophets had fallen silent. Injustice and oppression reigned. The people yearned for a Messiah. praying earnestly for salvation. Into this darkness, God sent his son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Proclaimed to shepherds, sought by kings, Emmanuel, God with us, the hope of every nation, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. He is here.
give up for me Oh, what joy I found Because of your love Because of your love for me My God's so good You never give up You never give up on me Oh, what joy I found Because of your love Because of your love for me
to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. He has come for us this Jesus. He's the hope. Rejoice, rejoice. 
to a place unexpected would you believe after all we've projected a child in a manger lowly and small the weakest of all unlikeliest hero wrapped in his mother's shawl just a child is this who we've waited for? And how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become the least for me? Poured out their hearts to roam and 
gentle world that is all torn apart how many fathers gave up their sons for me For the newborn Savior All that we have done Whether costly or meek Because we believe Go for his honor And frankincense for his pleasure And mirth for the cross He'll suffer Do you believe Is this who we've waited down from their thrones how many lords have abandoned their homes and how many greats have become the least for me and how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is all torn apart how many fathers gave up their sons for me?
I love the bridge to that song, and it's so true that there is no other God who stepped down from their throne and would give their life for their people. When he could have everything and he came as a baby who depended solely on people to take care of him and keep him safe. He couldn't even walk around. He came as the flesh. That is the God that we serve. He would give up everything that he has for his people. And if you don't know him, I just encourage you to call upon his name because he loves you too. He came for you too and he would come just for you because that's how much he loved us. And that's what this song is all about. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Well, let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing. And you're desperate for some healing. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and His grace is free And the good news is I know that He Can do for you what He's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus And let my Jesus from an 
empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can't save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong and his grace is free And the good news is I know that he can do for you What he's done for me Let me tell you about my Jesus And let my Jesus change your life yeah. Hallelujah Hallelujah you to just share Jesus this Christmas season. We're excited to have you here. If you would just go around and greet some of your family of faith this morning. It's good to have you today. We'll uh, take up tithe and offerings, so if you want to get that prepped. Offering envelopes are in the chairs in, in front of you. If not, wave your hand around. And also the ushers as they come down the aisle with, they also have prayer request cards. So uh, if you want a prayer request card, uh, wave your hand around. We'd love to uh, pray for any prayer requests that you have. They also bring pens with them and all sorts of stuff. You want to take notes today, so uh, they'll come down the aisle in just a second. Just wave your hand around. 
and they'll help you out, whether for tithing offering envelope, prayer request card, pen, whatever. So this morning, I got uh, Tori. She's going to come up and take up offerings today. So come on up, Tori. Everybody say hi, Tori. Make sure this thing's on right. There, you should be good to go there. All right. Good morning, everybody. So before I take a tithe and offering, I just want to share a story, um, a testimony. So the Bible says in Romans 13, 8, no, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So I had credit card debt, um, and it was like weighing, it was weighing over my head. I thought about it all the time. But I could not, like, I trusted in money so much that I could not get myself to, like, to give it away because I felt like, how was I, I always worried about how was I going to get more money. So I had to really evaluate my heart and, and realize that I trusted in money too much. Um, so I finally got to a place where I was like, God, just help me. I want to pay off this credit card debt. So I said, I called each one of them and I set up a payment plan and I just committed it to the Lord. And he was, he was so faithful because even paying that monthly, I still had money to give to others and I did not lack anything. Like I still had extra money if I wanted to go, you know, buy a shirt or, you know, something, something. <laughs> so. I paid off my credit card debt. I still do have one credit card that I have to pay on, but three of them are paid off, so praise the Lord for that. And I just wanted to share a couple more scriptures. Um, Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to the fruit of his deeds. And that's what he did. He searched my heart. He tested my mind. He, he tested me on where I placed money in my heart. Um, and I was trusting money more than I was trusting him because he is our provision and it doesn't matter money comes and goes But the Lord is always faithful and then Jeremiah 17 7 and 8 said Says blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes For its leaves remain green is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit so even when our circumstances look like the money's not coming in and we start getting, you know, start having fear and worry and anxious about where the money is going to come from, God tells us that if we trust in him, that we will always bear fruit, even in drought. So I'm going to pray over offering. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that you are our provision, that you are our source, Father, and I thank you that you search our hearts. And that you reveal things to us that, so that we can lay them down. So that we can grow in you, Father. And just see you do what only you can do. I pray that every tithe that is given today, Father, that you would increase it. 30, 60, 100 fold. That you would do with it for your kingdom and for your people as you see fit. And we just thank you for everything that you've given us and everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So if you have something to give, bring it on down this morning. Thank you, Tori. I do have announcements for you as you are doing that. Obviously, uh, we are 
seven days from Christmas, which is pretty wild to me. So, but it's coming fast. Uh, some announcements according to that. Again, no, no church-wide prayer in December. Church-wide prayer will begin on January the 9th, which uh, January the 8th kicks off our 21 days of prayer. January 9th will be our, our first uh, church-wide prayer on Mondays um, uh, into the new year. So uh, make plans uh, to be here for that. Uh, 21 days of prayer, I'm going to keep giving you some information. So what's going to be happening for that period of time, so January the 8th through the 28th, 21 days, we are kicking off the year, uh, consecrating our year to the Lord in prayer. And I know you guys pray anyway. I hope you do. You should. You should have a daily prayer life. But as a church to consecrate 21 days uh, that we're sort of tracking on the same page for that period as we're heading into the new year. So uh, if, if you can follow uh, the schedule a little bit, um, uh, we'll put something out that that's uh, on paper or whatever so you can uh, track it a little better. Um, we're going to challenge each of you to spend an hour in prayer each day over that 21 days. Now, again, prayer is not legalistic. It's not uh, sort of building brownie points with God so he likes us. But prayer is communication. It's strengthening. It is intimacy. Uh, it is everything that God designs it to be because God gave us prayer to connect and be with him. Amen. Now, now, again, it's not trying to watch the clock and click off, well, I, I did the spiritual thing today, I prayed an hour, but it is a challenge to you, is what it's going to be. Uh, you can do it at any time during the day, but our specific time uh, of prayer as a church will be from 6 to 7, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 8 to 9 a.m. on Saturday, and then Wednesday nights during those uh, 21 days, we're going to do some teaching on prayer, then spend time praying as a church, okay, and then Sunday's We'll incorporate some prayer also. Uh, we're going to give you some things to go along with it. Um, for that time from 6 to 7, uh, the Botkins campus is doing in-church prayer every time period that I just said. So if you want to, you're actually going to be able to click on a link and participate in the, the live prayer at the church there. I will be there other than Mondays, which I'll be here for uh, our campus prayer. So anyhow, that's sort of what's happening. We'll tell you more about it. So 21 days of prayer. I'm going to challenge you to fast one day a week during those three weeks if you can do so. Uh, it, uh, I'm going to do a little more of extended time of fasting during that time. Uh, just as a challenge to our church to give 2,000, and I can't believe I'm saying it, 23 unto the Lord. Amen? That's what that's about. So, uh, again, that's just a couple weeks away. We'll keep telling you more about it. Uh, and then, of course, uh, this coming Saturday is Christmas Eve. We have our Christmas Eve service here at 630. There will be lots of food, as Tish and, and the crew always does for us and, and Mike and everybody. But we are having a candlelight, um, and then there's going to be a bit of a time of, of the Christmas story. And the kids are going to be involved in that. So it's going to be kind of fun. So come on out, invite some people for that. And then, of course, next Sunday morning, uh, it is Christmas. We do have church. So if you don't have a family gathering, come on out. Church is normal. What's going to be extra? Well, it's Christmas. We're here worshiping Jesus next Sunday at 10 a.m. as always. And then the only other thing I want to throw out to you is that um, in 2023, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for an overseas uh, mission trip, if you will. Uh, if you don't know Pastor Dosik at the Botkins campus every year, uh, part of his calling is, is to go overseas and um, 
they actually do amazing work in many different countries. Thousands upon thousands of people come to, to give their life to Jesus through uh, these times that they're over there. Um, so we're going to open it up for people in the church. If you're interested in this, let me know uh, where. Well, there's some different options. How much? Well, that's according to the option. The date? Well, that's according to the option. So what we want to do is if you're interested, let me know. Then right after the new year, I'll gather you together and I'll tell you the options. There, there's, a, there's a trip to Africa. There's a, a trip to uh, Brazil. I believe also Honduras and some different places. So we'll get together and talk and maybe choose one of them. And then, and then of course, Eric Smith at the Botkins campus is the contact for it. And we'll kind of go from there. So it's just an opportunity if you're interested. They're not cheap. Uh, obviously, as you know, uh, you have to have passport and that whole business. So anyhow, if that interests you, let me know and uh, we'll get together on that. All right, sound good? Amen. High five your neighbor. Tell them it's good to see them today. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. If, hey, if you, if you don't have somebody sitting next to you, that's just a good opportunity to let you know you can invite somebody to come next time and uh, fill that seat next to you. And uh, uh, I, I look at every empty seat in our church as an opportunity for somebody to sit there. Amen. And, and we, we're not, we don't pound as a church numbers and, and growth, but at the same time, we do want to grow. And num numbers don't matter till they matter. Numbers don't matter till nobody's here. <laughs> numbers don't matter till there's not enough finances to, to have a building and electricity and all that kind of stuff. So we so we don't talk about numbers. Well, we don't, but we do. But also, why have seats in a church unless people can be there to be discipled and to come into the fellowship of faith. Amen? So maybe thinking into the new year, we're going we're gonna to kind of challenge a little bit about uh, growth in our church. We have been growing, but certainly uh, we want to be a house of salvation, a house of long-term discipleship, a house of freedom. Amen? You believe that? Okay. All right. By the way, yesterday, the nursing home... Uh, went out and had a wonderful time. They sang some Christmas carols, gave out Christmas cards, and the group went. I heard they had a wonderful time. So thank you so much for doing that. And by the way, uh, it's always opportunities to do that. They do things throughout the year with that outreach. So it's one of the, uh, I think, one of the wonderful things that we do uh, as a church. So uh, if you want more information about that, you can see uh, Al or Mike or Vinny, okay? And uh, they'll tell you more of that. But they had a great time. I sent I, they sent me a picture, I did, of, uh, I guess they had a sign in the nursing home. How many of you know uh, the movie Home Alone? It, and it said, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. But anyway, so I like that. So um, Anyhow, Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bible. We're still in our series, He is Here. And um, talking about the coming of Jesus... Uh, in, in traditions called Advent. Advent simply means arrival. Uh, and we believe, it, as Isaiah has said, uh, he, he uh, proclaimed, he asked God that you would rend the heavens and come down. Well, he did, and that is the birth of Jesus. A baby was born. Advent, God has come. And the anticipation of the arrival was hundreds of years for Israel wanting a deliverer to come. But Jesus has come and the kingdom has been inaugurated, but now we're in another season of anticipation of another advent, and that is Jesus coming again, which we believe. So their arrival, advent, their arrival 
of Jesus. It's the season that we celebrate. So whenever you hear somebody say, well, keep Christ in Christmas, what they're essentially saying is we believe Advent. We believe God has come. That's what that means. And, and it's celebrated across different traditions. It's sort of the church calendar. Um, but we believe that Jesus not only has come, but the kingdom came with him. That he is here, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The fulfillment of, of Abraham and, and David. And he has come to save us. But we've sort of been talking about in this series is, how did Jesus come to save us? That's important. That the how, the how is very important. Because for those of us that claim to be his disciples, our call is to be Christ-like, amen? That we strive, you hear that? We should strive with the empowerment and the help of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God, we should strive to be Christ-like. Isn't that right? That we become like him. So how he saves the world is important because how he does it is our example of how we live life in this world. Now here's what I know. Here, here's what I know because I've been doing this a long time. Here's what I know. When I say, how many believe we should be Christ-like? Everybody goes, amen. And then when it comes to being Christ-like, you go, oh me. Oh my. Oh, really? That? Yeah, yeah, that. So part of what we're talking about today has to do with Christ-likeness and what it means to live for him. So Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be in, in, in verse number 1. Uh, last week we were in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And down through uh, verse 17 is one of the great Christological uh, statements that we find in the Scriptures. Well, here is another one. A Christological passage that talks about Jesus and who he is as our Savior. As a matter of fact, uh, the bulk of what we're going to read today is actually uh, not original to Paul. Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Was it original to him? Most likely he pulled it from somewhere. They, they say it probably was an early church hymn of some sort, something that was recited, something that was sang. And I'll tell you where that part starts. But let's go to Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1. And I'm, I'm going to talk about this as we go. So if there's any encouragement in Christ... And I hope you find encouragement in him. Any comfort from love, and I hope you find comfort in the love of God. Any participation in the Spirit, and I hope you are actively, intimately participating in the Spirit. If there's any affection and, and sympathy, these are things that need to grow within us. Paul is saying, complete my joy, and I would throw myself in there, complete my joy as your pastor by being of the same mind, in other words, unity in the body of faith, having the same love, which is the love of Jesus growing in us, and being in full accord and one of mind. In other words, that we are unified and our purpose is the kingdom and we're purpose-minded together. Again, I say there's so much about Paul. He writes so dense and says so much in, in so little a, a space of, of writing and sentences. That's a lot there. But he's calling us to be unified 
encouraged in Christ, comforted in love, participating in the Spirit. Now, he says these things leading to verse 3. Now, watch what he says here. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Other translations say vain conceit. See, that selfish ambition is self-centered self-promotion. Vain conceit or conceit is pretty much thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. There's some pride in there. So the Christian life Paul is challenging us here is you don't live life in a way that's out of selfish ambition or pride. And by the way, that is the way of the world. Dog eat dog, win the rat race, get mine, and not so concerned about other people. As a matter of fact, as long as I get mine, I'm okay with you not getting yours, because sometimes my getting mine means you don't get yours. I'm going to pause there, let that sink in. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, focuses on the self. But, but don't focus on the self, but in humility. That's a characteristic we take on, a characteristic of Christ. Count others more significant than yourself. Now, we could stop there. You can highlight that, underline it, put parentheses around it in your Bible. Always consider the other more significant than you. Can you imagine if our world thought and lived that way? Oh, my goodness. The things that would change. The drastic change we would see in our society if we really thought, really believed, and really lived that the other person is actually more significant than me. That's the attitude that removes selfish ambition, self-promotion. It removes vain conceit, pride of self. Because the other is really what we learn to live in, love your neighbor as yourself. But ultimately, we know that when we come to love ourselves, the, the blessings we would like to see, the favor we would like to receive, the encouragement we would like to have. Amen? We turn and do the others, same for others in a way that puts the others before ourselves. Now watch what Paul keeps saying to you. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, and it's okay to look to your own interests, you need to, but because you're not a person of self-promotion and, and, and vain conceit, you also look to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, verse 6 down through verse 11 is where the, this early church hymn, not uh, original to Paul, comes into play. It's very Christological. who though he was in the form of God, and we know that Jesus was God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, as it says in verse 7, but he emptied himself. He laid, he was fully man and fully God, but yet he laid down characteristics of his divinity to live the human life. Emptied himself, and, and he did this by taking on the form of a servant, underline it, highlight it, a servant. 
being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus, the word became flesh, John chapter 1, and made his dwelling among us. In other words, he took on humanity. Remember, he wasn't created at his conception, but at that moment, God took on flesh. But the nature of his coming was he came as a servant. Now, I want you to think about this. As we'll find out at the end of this passage that we're reading, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, because of love for his creation, took on flesh. But, but he didn't do so in the way that other kings and lords did so. Now, this is very important. Hear what I'm saying. When he took on flesh, he didn't do it in the way that other kings and other rulers and other authorities did. The God who all things were made through took on flesh and became a servant. You see that? He didn't come to this world and trample the world. He did not come to this world and overtake the world by force. Now, when we go back to what I was saying earlier, we all say, hey, how many of y'all believe as a Christian we'll be Christ-like? Everybody says, amen. And then we say, then you need to be a servant. You go, oh, my goodness. Really? Can't we go out there and take it by force? Can't we try to gain authority and power, then rule it over other people. And Jesus said, no, that's not like me. God took on flesh, laid down aspects of his divinity so he could come be a servant. Servant living is Christ's likeness. Let's keep on reading. We'll talk more about that. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ-likeness, you see all this other stuff in the, in the scripture, pick up your cross and follow me. If, if you want to have life, you actually have to lose life, right? Christ-likeness. I have a quote here I want to read you. I just actually saw this yesterday, and I, I grabbed it. A guy named John Piper, if you know anything about him, said this. And by the way, the incarnation, uh, another word for advent, arrival, God in flesh. The incarnation, now listen to this word in here, is the preparation of nerve endings for nails. The incarnation is the preparation of a brow for thorns to be pressed through. He needed to have a broad back so that there was a place for the whip. He needed to have feet so there was a place for the spikes. He needed to have a side so there was a place for the sword to go into. He needed cheeks, fleshy cheeks, so that Judas would have a place to kiss and there would be a place for the spit to run down that the soldiers put on him. 
He needed to have a brain and a spinal column with no vinegar, no gall, so that the exquisiteness of the pain could be fully felt for you. That's the incarnation. That's God in flesh who didn't come to take the world by force, but come save the world through dying on a cross. That's servant. That's the nature of Jesus. Now, but what happens is, at the end of this, this passage, this hymn in the, that Paul quotes in Philippians here, that Jesus coming as a servant and being obedient to death on the cross leads to this. Therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I want you to think about something. We quote that part of Philippians to talk about the authority and power of the name of Jesus. At the end of things, every knee of all people of history will bow before him, literally bow, and will confess with their mouth that he is Lord. Lord, not just a Lord, but the Lord, the ruler, the authority, the principality and power. But how did he get there? He was exalted because of his servant nature of dying on a cross. Remember his interaction with Pilate before his crucifixion. Pilate asked, what is truth? And it's this big question that everybody faces. What is truth? But, but in that narrative, uh, he asked, are you a king? And, and, and Jesus pretty much affirms it. But he said, my kingdom's not of this world because if it was, we would be here fighting, literally warfare, fighting to take it by force. As he said, he could have called the legions of angels to deal with this mess. Right? We laid it all down. He said, the nature of my kingdom comes this way. And it's paradoxical. It doesn't make sense. Because it's entirely against how everything works. It doesn't make sense. But yet, that is the kingdom of God. How Jesus saved the world is important. And the model for us to live as his disciples is equally important. That how we live in this world. Jesus literally submitted himself to the wage of sin, which is death. Literally submitted himself so we could live. Now, what does this mean? And, and by the way, this, this, that is to the glory of God, as it says there. And the glory of God is the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the magnificence of God, the beauty of God. That Christ upon the cross is the clearest revelation of the love of God for this world. The, the, 
the crucifixion, as, as that quote from John Piper so wonderfully puts, the crucifixion was, was ghastly. It was horrible. But in that is the magnificence and the glory of God. It's paradoxical. And he gets there because he's a servant. See, John chapter 3, let's go there in, in verse number 17. Now, now everybody knows John 3.16, but what about John 3.17, right, right behind it? So coupled with, in, in this narrative of Jesus talking about God loving the world and gave his son, talking about himself. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But why, why was he sent? But in order that the world might be saved through him. That is the mission of Jesus. Now, let me just say this. By the way, I'm going to throw this out there. It's sort of a side point, not part of the message here, but take this one. If God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, chances are he didn't send you to do that either. You write that, that down. That, that's good right there. <laughs> if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, he's not sending you to condemn the world either. But what is Jesus sending you to the world to do? Be a servant. See, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. So Jesus comes not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Again, how does he do it? He comes and takes on flesh as a servant. And John, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. If I said John, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. We're going to come back to this larger narrative here in a few moments. Let me just go here quick. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, how do we represent Jesus in, in Christ's likeness? We come to serve and give our lives in a way that reflects the work of Jesus. So in Philippians, as we're getting into that, that, that hymn of, of the divinity of Jesus... It says our attitude should be the same as that as Christ Jesus. It, it, Paul is imploring us, this is the way we approach life. So Galatians chapter 5, Jesus is our example. So let, let's, let's see some scriptures that talk about us in this context. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13 For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. That came up in our offering today. But through love, serve one another. Say it again. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law, and it's the context of, of, of Paul's writing here of freedom from the law, 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, you will never serve what you don't love. That, that's why growth in the love of Jesus needs to be happening. You'll never serve what you don't love. If you don't love other people the way God loves them, you'll never serve them. God so loved a lost, sinful, nasty, evil world, but loved it so much the servant came to die for it. That's the great love of God. You'll never serve what you don't love. But within that, you'll never serve somebody else that you don't think they deserve it. Think about that. You'll never serve somebody else when you believe you are above them. You'll never serve somebody else who is no better than evil in your eyes. See, love removes categories. It doesn't remove reality, but it removes categories within the reality. See, selfish ambition, vain conceit, drives you to put yourself above and never beneath. And the growth of love in you deals directly with that selfish ambition, deals directly with vain conceit. Because it puts the focus on other people. You know in the Bible, every time it says that Jesus had compassion on somebody or something, a miracle followed but one time. And at one time as he's taught them, see, see them, they're scattered, we need to go. What is compassion? Compassion born out of love that focuses on another. Every time Jesus had compassion on somebody, a miracle followed, except one time where he taught somebody. Focus on other people. Allows God to move in you for them. But you'll never get to that place unless your eyes are open, your ears are hearing. Not stopped up by selfish ambition and vain conceit and looking out for yourself. Servant nature. 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's go there. So I thought we're talking about Christmas. Yep, this is Christmas right here. God in flesh, servant to save us. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10. As, as each have received a gift. Now how many of y'all believe that in your creation you're created with gifts? Gifting, purpose. How many believe that? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you should believe that. Why, why do you have a gift? Use it to do what to another? Serve. As God's stewards of God's very grace. So the grace of God enables us to have gifts in God, right? A good steward of the gifts that God gives you is to serve other people and not to promote yourself. 
A gift that God gives you is not to say, hey, look how great I am. Look how much God uses me. I'm a superstar. Pat me on the back. Don't you think I'm great? I don't know. A gift is in your life, not for your self-promotion, but to serve somebody else. That's why you have it. It's for the benefit of another while fulfilling purpose in you. We are to use gifts to serve. Okay, go back to Mark chapter number 10. We're going to pick up at the front of where we were just a moment ago. Mark chapter 10. And verse number 35. Here, here we find some boldness in James and John, sons of thunder, right? There's a reason why they were given that nickname, I think. It wasn't necessarily positive. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, came up to Jesus, and said to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Don't... <laughs> Isn't that like us sometimes? We go to Jesus, I want you to do whatever I ask you. And we say, well, the Bible says? Well, I know what the Bible says, but just make sure the motivation of your heart is correct when you come that way. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? So he actually asks. And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and the other at the left, in your glory. Now, they're thinking an earthly kingdom, uh, a kingdom where Israel's liberated. They want to be a ruler, authority, some sort of a lord in an earthly sense. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking, but are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? That's his death. Were you baptized with the baptism which I am to be baptized? Again, that's his death. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit the right hand or the left is not mine to grant, but is for those that whom it has been prepared. And in other words, James and John were looking for a position with Jesus. They wanted to be somebody. This is an example of self-promotion. Born out of some sort of conceit. Self-promotion right here. And no, notice, notice then what happens. And when the ten heard it, the other disciples, they began to be indignant at James and John. So you, have, you have a group of people following Jesus, and two of them get Jesus on the side and says, hey, can you make us the, the best of the best, the biggest of the biggest? Can you put us in charge? And the other, got, the other ten got wind of it, and they got upset about it. Right? Deservedly so. Now watch what Jesus says at this point. And Jesus called them, disciples, to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. In other words, look at the way the world works. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Now again, come back to the question. If I said, how many of you believe we should be Christ-like? Everybody says, amen. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? I want to know. Watch what he says here to his disciples. But it shall not be so among you. You need to grab that and put that in your heart. 
It shall not be so among you. You're not going to live this life and exercise great authority and power like the systems of the world. That's not how the kingdom of God works. And if you try to make it work that way, it's not going to end up the kingdom of God. It may look good on the outside, but in it will be people's hearts who are far from God anyways. I've said that probably 20 times in the last two months. I need you to get that in your heart. Watch what he goes on to say. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. And here's where we were before. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So, you, you can take the word great, write down a piece of paper, and you can define great by a dictionary or how we use it as society. Then you can write great below it and put in parentheses biblical definition. Greatness equals humility and servitude. Greatness equals be the least of all. You want to be great, be the servant. That's kingdom definition. So all the times in our society you hear the word great. Let, let's do this great. Let's make this great. I want to be great. However you want to put it, you take that and go, that's world. Here's Jesus. Greatness is that I learn how to be a servant because I'm learning to love my neighbor as myself. I'm learning how to put my, my neighbor first before me and not just focus on myself. I'm worried about my neighbor getting theirs as much as I'm worried about my neighbor getting my, or me getting mine, right? I'm willing to serve. Even if it ends up, oh my goodness, did I, did I lose my life over this? That's Christ-likeness. There's another place, James chapter 4, we won't go there, where it talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? And it talks in there that, that in due time, God will exalt you. He will lift you up, right? Remember in Philippians, Jesus is exalted because he was the servant that was obedient to death on the cross. Therefore, every knee will bow. I, I think... We try hard in a certain way, exalted is a way of looking at, you would put different words there, to exalt ourself, self-promotion. But if, we, if you want to be ultimately exalted in the kingdom and certainly exalted in life to come, it comes because we learn how to be a servant here. And we don't try to gain things by, by, by uh, force and, and taking it over and... and, and we do it the opposite way. And it makes no sense. But that's the kingdom life. That, that is, that you say, how do I be Christ-like? Start with being a servant. How do I be a disciple of Jesus? Start with being a servant. And this nature of Jesus, and, and see, what happens is, when this stuff starts to get in you, the Holy Spirit gets involved. And there's a transformation that starts to happen that 
that really you become a servant. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and want to be sound. I don't want to sound harsh with this, but I'll say this. You can tell a lot about somebody's understanding of the kingdom of God and the transformation of their life by how they treat people. You see, it, it's, it, the fruit is out there to see. You can tell a lot by how people treat other people. The nature of the kingdom is putting others first. Amen? So, so he is here. He had come, Advent, God with us, the arrival. Then the example he set, now that we're waiting for his coming and his arrival, another Advent, is that we live like he did. It's not always easy. It takes some thought. I'm going to tell you this. It takes a whole lot of prayer. It takes a lot of asking. And, and instead of going to Jesus like James and John with, with the wrong motivated prayer, we come to God in prayer and say, instead of you giving me everything I want, can you make me like you? Right? It takes some reflection of how we interact with people. You know, one of the biggest things that, that I have a habit of doing is after my interaction with somebody, uh, I often think, did I do that in a Christ-like way? I think about it. And often, because of then the interaction of the Holy Spirit, I catch myself. And sometimes I have to go back to somebody and make a correction, maybe apologize. Amen. That I, in, in this life, listen, in this life, my greatest concern is that I am being Christ-like. My greatest concern, above anything else, above all my other plans and dreams and things I want to achieve, and I have those things. And by the way, if any of those things don't line up with being Christ-like, they need to be taken off the list. Let's just say that but I want to be Christ-like. I really want to be a disciple of Jesus. I don't want to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. That's great. But am I actually his disciple? And there can be a difference there. That he is literally giving me life because I'm losing my life and me. The corrupted me taking on new life. And in that, in that is freedom, by the way. Do you, you know that a life of self-promotion is a black hole of self, but there's actually freedom in serving other people. You know that? You see the contrast? You've got to see the contrast. There's freedom in Christ-likeness. We've got to see it that way. That's what he's trying to build in us. I believe. And then I believe, as Matthew 6 says, and all these things will be added unto me anyways. Because I'm seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first. 
What if I don't see it now? This life is the wisp of vapor of time for the eternity to come of reward. My goodness. Get big picture here. But if I'm a servant, I may not win all the time. I know. I, I understand that. Did you realize the kingdom of God is not about winning all the time? Now, it doesn't say, doesn't say that in here. You cannot, it's not here. The reward is the kingdom. Amen. We'll close this out if the guys or gals will come. We're going to take communion together today to close. The table of the Lord coming before us. You know, I, I was reading, uh, I was reading, it was just something I noticed. I actually was, I read about it. I'm, what I'm saying is I, saw, I had a thought in my mind one time, and I actually looked it up and read about it a little bit. There, there are other church traditions, and I've been in a church like this, where, have you ever been in a church where the pulpit is off to the side and maybe elevated a little bit? Have you ever been in a church like that? And then the, the communion table is always in the middle. Have you ever seen a church like that? You know why that is? The structure of the building of a church is to make sure that the person on the stage is not the center, but the remembrance of Jesus is. I like that. I'm not going to start doing that, but I like that. That's appropriate. Because this is the highest part of our worship today. Amen. As it says in the book of Matthew, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right here, you see that? God with us. Jesus came in flesh and blood so he could give his flesh and blood. As we read in Philippians today, he became obedient even to death on the cross. So today in this Christmas season, together in just a moment, we're going to take communion together in remembrance. God in flesh, God among us, God crucified, God our Savior, the servant who came to save the world. And in this I believe. If, if you'd like to, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, you stand up on your feet and come to the middle and, and go around the side. Come get the elements of, of communion. We can partake together in a moment.
I consider, when I think about church and I think about coming together, I consider these sacred times. But the sacraments of, of the body and the blood of Jesus, and, and along with baptism, water baptism, they're, they're the sacred times. These are things that we're commanded to do, asked to do by our Lord. These, these are things, and I say this a lot, but I think it's important to know this. These are the things that you can go into any denomination, tradition around the world, and you're going to find this right here. It's what we do that unifies us together. Some churches do things differently. They sing so, different songs and whatever. But eventually we all get to this right here. Because this is our most sacred tradition. Amen. Lord, we thank you for coming to this earth. God with us. And willingly submitting yourself to the wage of sin, that, that death on the cross. In our place, we thank you, Lord. That you had a literal body. And it was crucified. God of all things, creator. Omniscient, omnipotent. God everlasting. God in three persons. died on the cross. Lord, we thank you that you took our place, that your body was crucified. Lord, it was, it was whipped, a crown of thorns on your head. pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. Lord, we partake of this, this bread today in remembrance of your physical death on that cross. Let's partake together. And your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. Fulfilling all of the sacrificial law and requirements that were given. But God in flesh is the once and done Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The great fulfillment of all things. We thank you for your forgiveness. It is our freedom. It is our joy. It is the life that we have. It's where we, we partake this cup together in remembrance of the shedding of your blood. Partake together.
just for a moment, just, just reflect on him. What he means to you. We thank you, Jesus. That at this time of Christmas trees and Christmas lights and presents and Christmas songs and carols and everything that gets wrapped up in it. That you are Emmanuel, God with us. And you have saved us. And we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. Simply because of who you are and your great love for us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you would like prayer today, we'd love to pray with you before you head out. If you, if, if you just feel maybe in the, in the moment lost in the season a little bit, I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Come on down. I do want to pray. I, I need Rick and I need Donna and Tanya. I want to pray for you guys before you go. But be blessed as you go. We'll see you Wednesday and then certainly next weekend for our Christmas services.